Good evening, everyone. I'm Anne-Marie Cronin, and I'll be hosting a special live broadcast tonight on 760 WJR. We're going to be talking about the prevention of disease and the urgency of taking action before the onset of serious medical problems. Dr. Brian Collender, MD, internal medicine physician and specialist in prevention, is here tonight to talk about how to avoid heart attack and stroke altogether and what you need to do to prevent Alzheimer's and many other chronic diseases. If you have a question, we're opening up the lines and taking your calls, so please make a note of this number, 800-859-0957. We'll be repeating it throughout the show, and this is your opportunity to talk directly to the doctor. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back. You're listening to 760 WJR. Again, I'd like to welcome all of you to a special medical show here on 760 WJR. I'm Anne-Marie Cronin, and we are here tonight to talk to you about prevention and why you ought to start looking at healthcare from a different perspective. Dr. Brian Collender, MD, is joining us from Birmingham, Michigan, to give us some hard talk about dealing with our health and making sure we get the necessary testing. We're inviting you to call in if you have a question at 800-859-0957. Again, that number is 800-859-0957. Dr. Collender, welcome to another one of your very informative shows. What kind of education are you going to be giving the listeners tonight on prevention? Well, we had a patient come in this week who was giving me her family history and she was telling me about her father had heart disease at a young age. Her grandfather on her father's side had heart disease. And her impression was that this was just a genetic problem that she'd be having to deal with her in her life. And, you know, so, so many people think about genetics as a fixed feature in their health predisposition and that they really don't have any control over genetic mutations or their genetic predispositions. And so I think it's important to talk about some of the genetic tools that we use in our office that are really helpful for avoiding. I don't think of anything as being fixed in time or fixed to make somebody, you know, fated to have any outcome one way or the other. And so I think it's important to, you know, let the listeners know what we do. I mean, it's very, absolutely very important because I think a lot of people tend to think that they're just going to genetically inherit something and it's not necessarily true. But should we take the first caller before sure. we get behind? Uh, sure. Siobhan, who's okay. calling? Yeah, let's jump. We have Greg and Shelby on the line. Greg, thanks for tuning in as always. What's your question? Yes, you guys, Mr. Positive. Hey, Dr. Collender and the All-Star crew. Blood work. How indicative is blood work to tell you how healthy an individual is? Is it a good representation or is it just something that doctors do that really is not really specific and it's just a general to make you feel better? Well, thanks for calling, Greg. And it's usually you're very timely because, for, for example, the genetic labs are blood tests that give us a lot of direction. Um, but to your point, a lot of, you know, most of the listeners, I should say probably all the listeners who are seeing doctors who practice in a traditional setting doing what insurance covers are getting a set of labs for their regular physical that really do nothing to predict risk. And so, you know, when you go and get your physical and you're told that you're okay, unfortunately, none of that information really tells anybody that they're okay or not. And this is why people go to the doctor and they find out, you know, a week later or they die of a heart attack 
So none of the labs, you know, having a cholesterol level, being treated for high cholesterol, having diabetes, being treated for diabetes, all of these markers, you know, to me, they are false targets. And those markers really do not predict risk. So in my office, we do different labs that measure inflammation levels that do correlate to risk. So some more than others, but getting more data for every individual person makes a huge difference to put a picture together about that person's health. And you're mentioning blood markers, but actually the most important data point to me is the um, ultrasound test that we do in our office called the CIMT, carotid intima media, media thickness test. And the CIMT measurement, which is a measurement of the layer in your artery wall where plaque occurs, that's the most important data point to me because it's a measured layer. And labs don't always tell the truth. Um, I've had plenty of patients with normal blood work who have a lot of plaque. And today I saw somebody who has chronic abnormal inflammation markers and he has no plaque. He's so let little, me ask you, Dr. Yeah. Collins, so that means you can't rely on the normal blood test that you're getting when you go to see your primary care physician. We can't rely on the outcome of that or the predictability of risk. The normal blood tests that the listeners who are not working with a, you know, an expert preventive doctor, correct. Those labs that we all get, the cookie cutter blood tests, do nothing to predict risk. And this is the system that we're under. You know, the goals of therapy are to have a low LDL, to have a specific hemoglobin A1C, which is a diabetic marker. Unfortunately, those goals do not lead to better outcomes for a lot of Americans. And so we need to do better, which is identify inflammation markers that measure risk better than the current labs and get imaging that measures risk better than other imaging. And it's about finding people very early in the disease process or wherever they are in the disease process and applying an optimal lifestyle and treatment in an optimal medical plan to make sure that we're reducing their risk and we can follow these data points predictably toward a goal of never having anything negative or untoward happen to that person. So the most important thing is people understanding your whole concept and your whole journey and your practice of prevention that you want to catch, use the, what technology is out there, the blood tests that are available out there, the screening that's available out there, which they're not getting at the regular PCP, that's going to identify the risk. And I thought today we should talk about genetic risks, um, that me- genetic labs and markers that measure risk that are not fixed, faded outcomes for anybody, but really, once you have this information, you can adapt your lifestyle or actually treat genetic changes and improve them so that you don't have the negative outcomes that we are trying to avoid. So let's come back and talk about that on the other side of the break. Again, you're listening to our weekly live medical radio show where we keep you up to date on all medical solutions from dealing with COVID to avoiding catastrophic disease. We're here with Dr. Brian Collender, MD, talking about prevention. If you have a specific question and you'd like to talk to the doctor directly about what you need to do to prevent or reverse disease, Please call at 800-859-0957. That's 800-859-0957. You're listening to 760 WJR. Welcome back to our special live weekly medical show on 760 WJR. 
We're back again with Dr. Brian Collender, MD, internal medicine physician in Birmingham, Michigan. As a recognized leader in the field of catastrophic disease prevention, including heart attack, stroke, diabetes, and many chronic conditions, he's here tonight to give us some hard advice on what we need to do to avoid heart attack and stroke altogether. Through advanced and more sophisticated diagnostic technology, we're now able to arrest and reverse the progress of these silent killers. We're inviting listeners to call in with your questions at 800-859-0957. Dr. Collender, let's get back to the program and the callers. Siobhan, who's calling? Yeah, we have Tony from Wayne on the line. Thanks for holding over the break. Tony, what's your question? Yes, doctor. What is your opinion on using herbs and spices to re- and nutritional supplements to replace a pharmaceutical drug? Well, Tony, thanks for calling. And you know, this of t- everyone's got great questions. WJR audience always has great questions. So this week, a viral, you know, a a photo of a of a study came out that showed. Again, the study's bad, but the study was promoting that supplements do not prevent heart disease. That was the title, and that you can't count on supplements to do that. And the problem with this study is that they were testing, you know, garlic, um, and that's the main one that I remember people talk about garlic as a supplement to prevent heart disease. The study was looking at whether that some of the common... um, and, you know, heart prevention supplements prevented heart disease or not, instead of doing a study on, on events or outcomes, meaning did this supplement stop someone from having a heart attack, the study was about whether the supplement lowered LDL. And the title of the article is Supplements Don't Prevent Heart Disease. Well, you know, that's a problem with our healthcare system. It's another false outcome. You know, the goal is not to have a good LDL. The goal is to not have a heart attack. And so these supplement studies should have been looking at outcomes. The problem with an outcome study is they're very expensive. So somebody does a study and looks at supplements lowering LDL. Well, who cares if they lower LDL? That's not the goal. And we all know, regular listeners will know, that lowering LDL does not mean you're not going to have a heart attack. I have plenty of patients with perfect lipids who have a lot of plaque. LDL is not a great marker for disease. And unfortunately, that is a marker that the American Heart Association, our entire healthcare system, uses as a gauge of prevention. Mm-hmm. And it's, we all know it's failing because heart attack and stroke, heart attack deaths have been increasing every year. And this year, there's more and more unexpected deaths. Again, it's a controversial comment because we don't know what the cause of these deaths are. Um, a lot of people are blaming on COVID or vaccinations, but to me, excess deaths above the norm over a five-year period right now are really a, a result of lack of access. I think lack of access to prevention, the lack of access to the kind of testing that you're doing, and let's get you know right to the elephant in the room again, which is those types of screening tests that you're doing they're very sophisticated. Many of them are relatively new, but the key here is they're not covered by insurance. And so because they're not covered by insurance, the average doctor is not recommending them or prescribing them. It's not part of the status quo. 
you know, the status quo is meet these markers, which is lower your LDL, have a low A1C, have your blood pressure controlled. Of course, you need your blood pressure controlled, but there's a lot of people walking around with great lipid markers who die. And well, this this not to interrupt you, but this comes back to Greg's question about the validity of the tests that you're getting. And like we've discussed before, a lot of them are determined based on, you know, pairing you with some pharmaceutical product or a certain diagnosis. And that's probably the underlying problem here, right, is that these markers we're, we're told to believe are a determination of our overall health or really for some sort of more specific purpose and that, that may ex- not be very informative. Exactly. That purpose is we have a drug that lowers LDL. So let's make LDL an outcome goal or a guideline goal, even though lowering LDL doesn't relate to better outcomes for a lot of a people. So having a good LDL doesn't mean anything. We did a physical today. I got a husband and wife come, came in. She's, you know, we're doing her going over results and she's like, you know, I want, I want to write down my cholesterol. And I told her, who cares? I don't care about your cholesterol. Why do you care? Well, people ask. Who cares? All you care about is that your inflammation markers are coming down. And the next time we do your CIMT, your IMT measurement is coming down. That's the outcome we're looking for is reduction in inflammation, reduction in objective measures of inflammation, because chronic disease is caused by inflammation. If we lower it and we also identify the drivers of inflammation, we're reducing heart attack, and also other chronic illnesses that, unfortunately, we don't have great ways to measure our prospect, you know, our pro- the goals and, and, that, and that journey. I have a question for you, Dr. Collender. You talk about inflammation all the time. And my question for you, for maybe new listeners or maybe people that don't quite understand what that whole process is, that inflammation is what leads to disaster. And if I have a regular you know, primary care physician, you know, is he or she going to take the necessary testing to find out whether I have inflammation? Are they going to stay on top of my level of inflammation as I'm walking down that path? There are no inflammation markers as part of the risk calculator that the American Heart Association recommends to monitor, to gauge your risk and make a decision. So the risk calculator doesn't take inflammation into account. Well, how do you find out about your patient's level of inflammation? Why well, do multiple blood tests that measure inflammation markers that measure the different stages of plaque development? And so I can tell when someone has plaque that's at risk for rupture, um, at risk for events, um, whether or not their lifestyle is intact, you know, whether they're following the lifestyle recommendations. And there's labs that measure each of these processes at each of these stages in the plaque making process and the natural history of plaque. So we get a good idea. Plus we have imaging that looks at the plaque. So um, Wait, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in here because I know that we, you talk about this. We have imaging. We don't have imaging. Right. And you have access to imaging and that is a very important aspect of your practice um, not only as a uh, internal medicine specialist, but also as one of the few very uh, well-known specialists in this area in prevention, because you're looking at your patients that come in and you're basically saying, how can we prevent the inevitable uh, outcome of you leading towards diabetes, stroke, heart attack, whatever? 
And so you're using a plethora of testing that's just not simply on the agenda of the, the normal primary care physician. Well, on that note, let's go back to the question, which is, do we use supplements? So the answer is we do. I do use supplements in the practice. So the goal isn't to not take medicines. Um, I use supplements as an adjunct to lower inflammation and to treat other drivers of inflammation. So I don't have a, like, I don't stand on ceremony and say, we've got to do this holistically because you cannot. You know, in my practice, sure. you just, my patients who refuse prescriptions, they get worsening plaque. And despite, you know, regardless of my best efforts, I just think you need to have no barriers to treatment. You need to use all the tools in your toolbox. You can't make statements about, I will or will not do this or that. Um, if you've got bad plaque, you probably need a statin to lower inflammation. And we use supplements. I use a lot of vitamin D. We use curcumin. We use turmeric. Um, all, you know, we use methylated B12, folic acid, a lot of supplements to help lower inflammation and improve how your mitochondria work. Okay, let's come back and talk about that some more on the other side of the break. Again, you're listening to a special live medical broadcast on the prevention and medical management of disease. If you have a specific question and you would like to talk to the doctor directly about what you need to do to avoid heart attack and stroke or have a question on any of the subjects we are talking about tonight, please give us a call at 800-859-0957. Again, it's 859-0957. You're listening to 760 WJR. Welcome back to our special live medical broadcast on News Talk 760 WJR. We are fortunate to have Dr. Brian Collender, MD, internal medicine physician and specialist in prevention here tonight to give us some straight talk about two important topics, prevention and being proactive. Please tune in to our weekly shows Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m. and live Thursday at 7. We are inviting you to call in with your questions and talk to the doctor directly at 800-859-0957. Dr. Collender, coming back to our subject tonight, which is genetics and genetic testing. Tell us what we need to know. You know, we have a caller. Maybe we should do the call. We have another caller, yeah. then let's we, take we the caller. We did just have a caller come through. Okay, so we'll start there. So we have David from Windsor on the line. David, thanks for listening as always. What's your question? Yes, my question for Dr. For Dr. Colander is this. Then here in, their in, implementation of mask mandates for COVID, I know you've been tired of hearing about it, but uh, what the kind of thing that's been going on for a long time and it's dividing people is the masks. I find that many times that if you're coughing and sneezing and wearing that mask, aren't you submitting germs into your own back, into your own system by constantly wearing the mask unless you have like a respiratory condition that requires you to wear one? What can you think about that? Well, thanks for calling, David. I would look at masks right now as a courtesy. You know, if you want to wear a mask, then wear a mask. If you are coughing and you're in public, it's a courtesy to wear a mask. Um, if you don't want to wear a mask in public when you're coughing, then don't. Um, you know, I, I just don't think that mask masking is like a topic worth even talking about anymore because 
there's other conversations they have about COVID and, and that I'm not going to have today because Amory will kill me. Right. But, uh, so, <laughs> so there's other COVID topics worth having. I just don't think it's worth talking about masks. Um, you know, if, if you want to wear one, wear one. Whatever it takes for you to feel comfortable to go out in the world and live your life normally, you should do. And that's it about masks. Well, we certainly don't have any. We don't have any mandates on masking any anywhere. I mean, I well, no. he's calling he's, from Canada. Yeah. I know David's in Canada. Right. Might be a whole different yeah. story. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't wear a mask anywhere. I mean, if I had a cough, or right. I, you know, I mean, what COVID has done to me is, if someone comes into my office and they're coughing, they're sick, I wear a mask. Right. And I never used to do that. So now that's right. that's my COVID preventive measure. Right. So back to back to genetics. Back to genetics. Right. So we're going to talk about three genetic tests that I think are really important. And the first one is probably the most important. So no teasers. We're going to go right to the most important one, mm-hmm. which is a blood test called LPA. So LP little a, it's also known as lipoprotein A. And LPA is a change to your LDL particle. So when people talk about cholesterol, they think they have LDL cholesterol, which is a bad one, HDL cholesterol, which is a good one. The reality is cholesterol is the same. What makes cholesterol good or bad is which particle is carrying the cholesterol. So particle numbers and the quality and types of particles is a better gauge of lipid risk than cholesterol numbers. So LPA is an LDL particle with an extra protein attached to it that causes more artery wall inflammation. It also causes more plaque development, um, clot development when there's plaque rupture. So the reason plaque rupture is important is because most people that die suddenly of a heart attack underwent plaque rupture. They have a plaque that's not blocking blood flow. They're not causing symptoms, and if their inflammation levels are high, that plaque is going to open up like a pimple, and the body's way to heal that kind of injury is to, is to, is to form a clot so you don't bleed. The problem is inside a small artery is that clot is going to block the blood flow. So LPA makes your arteries more likely to develop plaque on the beginning end and also causes more clotting, more thrombosis on the back end after there's a plaque rupture. So it's very common, 30%. That means one out of every three listeners right now have elevated LPA, and your doctor has never checked for it. That's kind of scary. And it's cheap. It's a very inexpensive blood test. It should only be $20. I know, but is it included in the regular panel of blood tests? You know it's not. No, I know, but it's not. But I mean, okay, the question is that uh, you're doing more sophisticated blood tests, but I'm I'm really wondering why the average physician would not just say, you ought to have this test, it's going to cost this much, but I highly recommend it. Well, the average physician is not doing justice by their patient by staying within a system that limits their ability to take care of people. And through COVID, we've had a lot of radio shows about the responsibility of the individual doctor to leave the system that they're being working in so that they have the ability to do right by their people. So it's doctor's fault that they're not 
providing an experience for their patients and, and identifying their risks. Well, let me just say this because I've interviewed a number of doctors over the past several months and certainly during COVID. And whenever I come across a new interview that I'm doing for whatever article I'm writing, I've asked several doctors, do you suggest patients getting the CIMT? And 90% of the time, the answer is, what's that? So I think that's rather pathetic that a physician who is in primary care, and one of them, by the way, was a cardiologist who said to me, what's that? How, how is that possible? Doctors are not trained in prevention. And I know, I, but how long has this technology been out, the CIMT? 20 years. Oh, my gosh. That's really, I mean, how is it possible that a diagnostic test that is so sophisticated gives you so much information and, uh, you know, identifies the most serious type of plaque, you know, in the wall of the artery where you can actually look at and diagnose whether or not they're a candidate for a heart attack or a stroke, much more sophisticated than any other test out there. Well, why is it that at least they don't know what it is, albeit the fact that it's not covered by insurance? Maybe it's, you know, $220 regardless. At least they ought to know that the test is out there. Well, I want to correct one thing you said. The CIMT is not there to identify the most serious plaque. The CIMT is there to identify any plaque. Right. And the idea is that the resolution of the CIMT is way higher than a CT arteriogram, even a... Uh, arteriogram without, you know, where you get a heart catheterization or a CT. So all the tests I can miss plaque and this, and the CIMT does not. So it's very important to identify people at the earliest possible stage and take aggressive measures. And of course, if someone's in a later stage and higher risk, you take extraordinary measures to reduce their plaque and optimize their medical management right away. Whereas somebody with minor plaque has time to optimize their, their plaque. So it's all about risk stratification and applying what you need to know to anybody. And again, I'm going to come back to genetics. If you have an elevated lipoprotein A, LPA, you need to know because the fix is taking vitamin B3. And again, our caller came called and said, hey, how about supplements? Niacin, which is vitamin B3, can alter the negative effect of LPA and reduce your risk of having a heart attack or stroke. And also, people that have LPA, because they clot more during a plaque rupture, should probably take a baby aspirin. And again, we could have a whole show and have had whole shows on aspirin because the American Heart Association does not know what to do about prevention and has misadvised the entire country about what to do with aspirin. And this is an example. There's people walking around. They got great lipids. They got great cholesterol. They have no risk factors, but they have LPA, and they should be on a stat. They should be on an aspirin, and a statin, and niacin. So it's a it's important to know whether or not you have an LPA, and that's something you definitely all need to ask your doctor to get. Okay, and uh, I want to come back and ask you a question myself about sure. what, we've been, what we've been talking about. In the meantime, we have to take a quick break. You are listening to a special live broadcast tonight where the topic is your health and how to prevent disease. When we come back, if you have a specific question on the subjects we're discussing tonight and you would like to talk to the doctor directly, please don't hesitate to call at 800 859 Again, that number is 800-859-0957. 
You're listening to 760 WJR. Welcome back to the final segment of our special weekly live broadcast here on News Talk 760 WJR on the importance of being proactive and informed of the resources available to prevent and treat chronic and debilitating disease. You are listening to the expert advice of Dr. Brian Collender, MD, internal medicine physician and one of the very few specialists in prevention in this country. If you have a question for the doctor, now is your chance to call at 800-859-0957. Dr. Collender, it's the final segment. I'm leaving you the floor. What do you want to tell listeners that they really need to know? What's the top of the list? Well, one last comment on LPA before we move on to the next uh, genetic marker that identifies risk is women need to have the LPA drawn a couple times during the lifetime because as women go through menopause, their LPA will go up. So they may start their life at a low risk LPA level and then, you know, in their 50s and 60s develop an LPA that requires management. So LPA is a great example of a genetic marker that can be managed with supplements and drugs. And there is a drug that also lowers LPA that we're not going to have time to talk about. The next genetic marker I want to talk about is called haptoglobin genotype. And if you are a diabetic, you need to listen right now. Haptoglobin is a genetic marker that increases the risk of heart disease in diabetics. And in my practice, I consider people with severe insulin resistance to also be diabetic. But if you are diabetic, you need to ask your doctor to get a haptoglobin genotype. And if your haptoglobin genotype is abnormal, then you should be taking vitamin E. And, you know, just a low dose of vitamin E, maybe 400 international units, at the most 800 international units. Now, I want to make sure that if you're diabetic and you're listening to the show, you should not take a vitamin E unless you are definitely haptoglobin positive because vitamin E increases risk of heart disease, except if you have the haptoglobin genotype, in which case it lowers your risk. So you can't just listen to this and say, well, I'm going to take vitamin E because I'm diabetic. I don't need to know the blood test. Yes, you do. Because if you are not a, if you do not have both of your parents' abnormal haptoglobin markers, then you're taking your vitamin E is going to increase your risk of heart disease. If it's positive, then you need the vitamin E. So So is that to say if you're a regular person and you're just taking vitamin E as a supplement, that that is actually a bad thing? It is. The only other place that vitamin E is used is people with macular degeneration. There's like a compounded uh, supplement that helps macular degeneration. So that supplement helps people and it has vitamin E. But otherwise, no one should be taking vitamin E. Let's say you're a diabetic with a double positive haptoglobin genotype. So once again, I'm going to come back to the question of, <laughs> you know well, that. first of all, I've got lots of questions here. Uh, macular degeneration, obviously, is the, is the eyes. Right. And um, uh, not a good situation to find yourself in either. But the haptoglobin genotype, once again, if this is a really important um, test that people need to find out what it is or know more about it, 
are they able to, are they going to get this test from somebody, be it their cardiologist or their primary care physician or who's going to, you know, who's going to identify this? Well, you have to ask for it, obviously, because it's not something anybody else is thinking about. So if you have your regular doctor who works for a hospital, works for a big company, you're going to have to ask for this test because they may not even know about it. Like you said on Facebook, Amory, that you've been interviewing doctors. doctors that don't know what the CIMT is. Right. So they and certainly... And how about cardiology? That's really unforgivable. It's scary. So they're really not going to know about haptoglobin genotype. I mean, we're digging a little deep, but this is what I do for every person in my practice that has insulin resistance or diabetes. So every diabetic or every possible diabetic or everybody who thinks that they may, they're pre-diabetic really needs to know what this haptoglobin genotype is. Right. So they need to take it upon themselves to remember this, remember this diagnosis and find out who and, is going to. And the LPA. Just because you're diabetic doesn't mean you can't have LPA. So you need to ask your doctor for LPA, haptoglobin, and there's one more. But you and can, what is the one more? Oh, I was making sure Amory <laughs> does have more questions about what we've already talked oh, no, about. I mean, I mean, I've only got a few minutes left, but I mean, I, what I'm thinking here is that we need to like just be listing your 800 numbers so that people can call you and find out what doctors are are going to be able to do this testing because not everybody's got a doctor, access to a doctor that's even, and, and you know, clued in about this testing. Well, good luck asking for the doctor for a test they never heard of with the, in your four-minute <laughs> office visit. So um, you've got that challenge. But LPA should be accessible. The haptoglobins might be a little tougher. The third genetic marker to look for that increases risk of heart disease is called 9 P21, and that's a description of the, you know, the chromosome and which arm and, you know, which number. So it's a, you know, it's a map of where that chromosome defect is. And so 9P21, people that have a risk of that could either have a, you know, they either get a normal report, which means they have a normal risk of heart disease consistent with the general population. If they get a mixed picture, they've got a one and a half times increased risk of heart disease. And if they've got a double abnormality, one from each parent, then it's a two times the increased risk of the population. So this one, unfortunately, does not have a specific fix. You know, whereas LPA, you can take niacin and an aspirin. Haptoglobin with the diabetics can take vitamin E. This one doesn't have a fix, but knowing about it is important because if you know that you have a genetic marker that increases your risk of heart disease twice the amount of risk than your neighbor, then you may live your life a little differently knowing you have this risk. And so knowing this information gives you the tools to make decisions for your health, which is I've got to eat healthier. I've got to exercise more. I've got to take the medicines my doctor prescribes to me. I've got to go to the doctor more often. I need to get my CIMT checked and my inflammatory blood how work. About, how about, not to interrupt you, but I know we're running out of time here. How about requiring that medical doctors are even aware of and are consulting their patients and telling their patients that they need to get this testing and avail themselves of this testing? You know, I mean, I'm not going to blame a doctor for not offering the testing, but they should at least be able to identify what it is. They should all know what the CIMT is and they should all know about what you're talking about right now. 
you know, if there's one take-home message in our final minute, the take-home message is, you know, get the LPA. It's very, it's the most common one. Get an LPA level, and then if it's abnormal, start taking niacin. And you don't need your doctor to tell you that. So, you know, but you got to ask for an elevated lipoprotein A LP or LPA and get that going. And that, that could change your life and your family's life. Because if you've got it, your, you know, siblings have to check, your parents have to check, and your kids have to check. Unbelievable that it's incumbent upon the, you know, the, the patient population to have to memorize this and know and know enough about biochemistry to know what to ask their doctor. And their doctor may not even have the availability of the testing. Sad situation. It is. But we're here to educate people we're and, here. and we're save still, lives. We're still here. But unfortunately, we're out of time tonight. So I'd quickly like to thank Dr. Brian Collender, MD, specialist in prevention for being here tonight and for being willing to share his expertise and knowledge with regards to not only the prevention of disease, but also on the importance of patients being proactive and engaging with a practice that provides access to the necessary testing. This show is brought to you by Colander Medical. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cronin, and we hope you got some useful information tonight on how to be your own advocate and take charge of your health, whatever your medical journey. Thanks also to my co-host, Siobhan Cronin, Please continue to tune in to our shows Sunday afternoon at 3, Thursday evening at 7 for the latest medical updates. And thanks for listening to 760 WJR. Good night and be well.